Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The light shines on us today from Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth as we conclude chapter 5. Paul clearly proclaims the gospel. It's absolutely wonderful. I want to give you a foretaste right now. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul unpacks that and what the benefits there are for us now and for what is yet to come and what we are called to have, what we have and what we are called to do as Christians. Thank you for tuning in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host. Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. A special thanks this morning to Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us today our guest, Pastor David Jewell of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Mommens, Illinois. Pastor... Moments, Illinois, yeah. Moments, Moments. <laughs> Illinois. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. You're close. <laughs> okay, I thought Five you said Five times and you'll get it. <laughs> else. I'll get it someday, yeah. But Pastor yeah. Jewel, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Brady. Every blessing in Christ and Happy New Year to you and to you at home as well. Absolutely. And Happy Epiphany. Happy Epiphany. Yes, as well, indeed. Well, Pastor, as um, I'm new, you know, within a week here, and uh, you've been, it's been a while since you've been on the program. Can you tell us a few things about yourself and the works of the, of, of the saints at Our Saviors in, oh boy, say the name of the town again? Yeah, the name of the town is Moments, Illinois. We are Moments. in eastern, yes, okay. eastern Kankakee County, which is, I'm an hour due south of the Chicago Loop is where I serve. It is for uh, for Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Insiders, uh, I'm in pretty much the southeastern corner of the northern Illinois district of our synod, and I'm about seven miles from the Indiana border. I have served here, uh, uh, God willing, by the end of March. This will conclude 14 years of ministry here in this congregation, and uh, love doing what I do, love living where I live. I am married and my bride and I have five beautiful children from the age of 16 down to four. And I serve a, a small yet thriving and vigorous congregation here in Moments. We have some wonderful people who work together to show forth the love of God in Jesus Christ, not only in word, but also in witness, too. So um, it's a blessing to be back on the radio, and it's a blessing to have you as the new host, too. Yeah, thank you for that. And I know you've had radio experience. Do you work concurrently as a, in, in the radio right now? I have, uh, I have a little side hustle at a radio station about an hour and a half southeast of St. Louis in my hometown down in Perry County, Illinois. And oh, uh, I'm on there uh, six nights a week for a few hours uh, playing music there. But that's just my little side hustle to keep my foot in the game. My, uh, my chief uh, work is here serving the saints of God at our Savior Congregation in Moments. So uh, it, it's, it's a little bit, you've got to have an avocation, I guess, to go alongside your vocation. <laughs> a side hustle, I, I like to say that. Pastor Jewel <laughs> and a side hustle, this is good to tell people. Anyways, yes. well, thanks be to God for you to be here with us today. And I want to hear from you, the listeners, um, one last day 
Uh, Pastor Pastor Jewel, when I started this over a week ago, I asked all of the listeners, tell me where you are listening from, because we will say this is worldwide KFUO. Yeah. So you're like, okay, how, you know, is it really worldwide or is it just going to, you know, moments, Illinois, and that's about it. But no, we received emails this whole week and we received over 50 emails and wow. we received it from over 25 different states. And just last night, got one from Hawaii. So wow. that was really cool stuff. So there's people who are listening to you from around the country, but then get this, from four different countries, Sri Lanka, oh, on, Ontario, Canada, it counts, it counts, um, yes, it the Philippines, and also in Jamaica. So like I said, worldwide KFUO, um, anytime, anywhere you can hear it. So um, if, for you, one last time, uh, if you have not done already done so, simply email us kfuo at kfuo.org and tell us from where you are studying God's word with us, live or even on demand. Send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. What do you think of that, Pastor? I think that's pretty cool, and I would be happy to trade places with a listener in Jamaica anytime. <laughs> we'll see if she writes back according to that. So right. today, Pastor, we are going to uh, continue our study in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, concluding chapter 5, which will be a lot of fun. But can you begin us and ask for God's blessings in prayer? Be happy to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Almighty God, you have called your church to witness that in Christ you have reconciled us to yourself. Grant that by your Holy Spirit we may proclaim the good news of your salvation, so that all who hear it may receive the gift of salvation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. As I said, we are concluding chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, and Pastor Jules, we've, we've been plugging through here. There's a lot of um, different things we could reflect back on, but what are some of the introductory thoughts of the context and background or main themes that you've seen to this point? You want to share anything? Sure. Uh, the, last, the first five verses that we'll look at today really kind of wrap up what Paul started back in chapter 4, where he spends quite a bit of time uh, unpacking his apostolicity, I guess you might say, for lack of a better term. The fact that, yes, he is a called apostle of Christ, one who is sent to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And then uh, as we get into uh, verse 16, you'll see that Paul will make a bit of a shift here and describe himself not only as an agent of reconciliation, but also one who comes to proclaim the message of reconciliation, and this reconciliation is not merely for the people in Corinth, but it is also for the people all over the world, wherever they may be. And he'll get a little more specific as we move into chapter 6, Lord willing, next week, but that goes beyond the ken of what I am going to be with you about today. So that, that gets us kind of up to speed on where we're at as we get started today. Well, very good. Um, as we, as we look at that, you're exactly right. He is continually defending his ministry. First of all, he, he wants to be with these um, people. He wants to be with the church in Corinth, and for various reasons, he's not able to get there. And he's continually um, proving why he's an apostle. He says that right in the beginning, you know, Paul, an apostle. And then when we come to, to this, he's speaking about um, the tension of being here, 
our bodies a tent and heavily dwelling. And he goes back and forth. But the, these these verses, 11 through 21, really hit to the heart. And I think we said this yesterday when we talked. It's like the it's like the heart of everything in Second Corinthians. Um, and we hit it, it so is. clearly. Yeah. It really, yeah, it's just an exciting stuff to get into. So I don't want to delay it anymore. But let's let's open up our Bibles and let's go. So let's begin in verses eleven through thirteen. Reminder to our listeners: we are reading from the English Standard Version. Paul says, "Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again." But given you cause to boast about us, so you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. There's a lot of things to look at here, Pastor. Where do you want to begin? Um, well, let's start, first of all, with the word persuade. And uh, I think this word sometimes has some baggage because so many people who are outside the realm of Christianity look at what Christians do as persuasion, but in a negative connotation. Uh, you might even say, it, you, could go, you could be really gross and say it's almost like a bait and switch sometimes. We're, we're out to persuade you to give up doing all the bad, sinful, wrong things in the world and become, become good. So we're trying to persuade you in the gospel to become good and to do good things and to believe good things. And ultimately, when you, uh, when you become a Christian and believe in Christ and are baptized and receive the forgiveness of sins and rejoice in this good news, you find out that people uh, are people because of our sinful nature. Uh, we, we live uh, as, as both one who is forgiven in the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ, yet also with our sinful nature still clinging to us. And so sometimes we forget about that as Christians, and we think, man, uh, aren't, aren't you supposed to be better than that? Well, in Christ, yeah, we are perfect, but at the same time, we still abide in our sinful nature. So um, we do persuade others, but the persuasion that we are bringing as fellow members of the body of Christ is to uh, lay down uh, those things of the world and to uh, have put upon us uh, the yoke of Christ, which is, which is not uh, a heavy burden. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, says our Lord. So here uh, we see that the persuasion that Paul is trying to make is a persuasion, as we'll see in just a little bit, toward uh, putting on the reconciliation of God that is in Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line of the apostolic message of the cross and the resurrection that St. Paul brings to the saints in Corinth and brings to you and to me today. And when I was younger and newer in the office, I had a real problem with the word persuade thinking that, you know, it was like, like I said, some sort of uh, a thing that you would get at a, at a car dealership or uh, in, a, in a store where you're trying to buy goods and things like that. And then I realized as you get some years on you in office that this persuasion is, uh, uh, is words of uh, shake off the world, 
shake off the devil and have Christ put upon you. So it is actually a positive and good persuasion here. And I like how he begins, and I love how you focus on that. I mean, I think you look at 11 through 13, I never would have even thought about looking at the word persuade, but you're exactly right, is is how he's how he's persuading is, first of all, in the fear of the Lord, right? He's not starting with, with fear of himself or, or joy in himself, or even talks about not to commend ourselves, because this is exactly what the super apostles are doing. They're trying to persuade them to look at themselves or look at others, as opposed to look to Christ. And so he begins with the fear of the Lord. We persuade others, meaning I'm going to show you the gifts that God has to give for you. I'm going to show you Jesus. And he does that so well throughout this, this, um, these, these verses to remind them and also us of my persuasion. And clearly we know this is from the Holy Spirit, not my job, you know, um, but it's, it's clothed and it's bathed in the grace of our Lord Jesus. There's also another word that can be kind of uh, misconstrued here, and it's boast. Um, right. I, he said this in, in previous chapters, and and you see that, and as a Minnesotan, I brought this up before, you know, boasting's bad, bad boasting. Boasting's always bad. You should always be humble, or at least act like you're humble, even though in your heart you're incredibly narcissistic. But um, boasting bad, what does he mean by boasting about us, causing you to boast about us? What do you think he means there? My mother-in-law is from southeastern Minnesota, so I know the Minnesota nice thing all too well. But yeah, let's talk about boasting here. It's not St. Paul so much boasting in himself, as you rightly said. Uh, his boasting comes in Christ, and it is, mm. it's a confidence. It, and it's not an overconfident, cocky, cocksure thing. It is a confidence that actually flows um, from and Paul talks about this at least three or four other places in his epistles, and he mentions it here in verse 11, the conscience. The conscience is made clean and good in Christ. And mm. so he is able to boast in Christ and the fact that, look at what Jesus has done for you in the fact that you are a sinner, yet he still became flesh and died for your sin and rose again from the dead, and has ascended to his Father to fulfill all things, and to send his Holy Spirit into the world to work through the preaching of this reconciliation for you. And, uh, the, and when people live in this reconciliation, Paul can say, I boast. But I don't boast in the fact that, boy, you're doing all sorts of good, wonderful things. No, I boast that this is Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's doing all of these things. And it brings about a good conscience. And I think that's something that uh, we pastors can really commend to our flocks and to you listening wherever you are in one of the 26 states or four countries that have already responded to Pastor Finnern, is that in Christ, my dearly beloved Christian, you have a good conscience. Uh, no matter how your conscience is sullied, what you do every day, and we, we daily sin much. Um, in Christ, you have that good conscience. It's clean and washed in the blood of Jesus, and it is uh, then able for us to go forward and love and serve not only our Lord, but also our neighbor too. So what I'm hearing you say about conscience is that conscience isn't just you know, what we hear in Pinocchio, let your conscience be your guide. 
determine you're right or wrong. Are you speaking about conscience a little bit differently here? I am. And uh, mm-hmm. boy, uh, you, you've been reading my email again, haven't you? Because I was thinking <laughs> that exact same thing, the same quote from Pinocchio. Yeah, the conscience that we have, uh, it's, it's the conscience that is, is uh, constrained, as we'll see in just a little in just a minute when we talk about the love of Christ that controls us or constrains us. And it's not a control as, as we would understand it according to the flesh. It is a compelling that has been put upon us from what we believe uh, that has been revealed to us in sacred scripture. We see that Jesus has, has taken care of eternity for us. And so it gives us a good conscience in Christ to live as a free person and to do uh, what has been given us to do where God has planted us to do it. That's the kind of conscience we're talking about here, Mm. one that is informed, literally informed by the Word, and chiefly that Word that is preached and that word that is poured over us in our baptism, and that word that is put into our mouths under bread and wine in the holy sacrament of the altar. That's where that good conscience comes from, and it informs everything else that we do as a fellow believer in the body of Christ. Well, that's so important for us to think about as we move on to the the next number of verses, or to the rest of this section, because... Um, I know Dr. John Kleinig from Australia has talked about the conscience is knowing the, knowing your relationship in, in, in light of somebody else. So for this case, what is our relationship to God? You know, where are we in this relationship? Or kind of like a mirror, you're looking at it. Is it fogged over? Is it, you know, had marks on it? But we know that in Christ, as you said, we are informed that we have a good relationship with God. Is that, that kind of the direction we're taking here? That's exactly the direction we're going to go, and I'm glad you dropped the name of Dr. John Kleinick because he has <laughs> done so much on this and has informed me as well about it, and is, it's become a source of comfort uh, for me and for so many other people. Wonderful. So what he says, but we are what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. What we are is is loved and forgiven and and saved by the blood of Jesus. So we know that, and he unpacks that even more so and tells us about being the right mind. It is for you. It is all for God. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. All these things, when you see it through the understanding of our right relationship with God because of Christ, it's a lot easier to read the rest of this. Any other thoughts as we move on to verses 14 and 15? I think we have pretty much uh, pretty much mined the depths of the joy of these passages. Let's see Wonderful. what else Paul has for us. All right, 14 to 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I almost feel like I'm reading a creed in this one, um, a wonderful uh, understanding of what Christ has done. Where do you want to begin with this? Um, let's, let's look at that verb control. Uh, again, mm-hmm. this is, uh, it's also translated in other places, compels. Uh, maybe that kind of gets the thrust of things better. Control can have such a, again, a negative con- connotation. It's much like persuade. When, 
when you read this, maybe uh, as as a uh, as as one who is new to the faith or maybe outside of the faith, boy, you're thinking, oh. Here we go again with those with those Christians and their persuasion and their control. Now this, if you look at if, if you look at what is the control or the compulsion here, uh, compulsion, it is uh, the love of Christ. And why? Because there is a conclusion to this, and this conclusion does not come from human nature. It comes revealed to us in in the Scriptures. One has died for all; therefore, all have died. That can be a hard pill to swallow, to Mm. understand that uh, in Christ, you are dead. But we think also uh, where it says in the New Testament, count yourselves dead to sin and Mm. alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the conclusion here is, yeah, Jesus Christ has died for all. And in Christ, which is where we find ourselves as Christians, we have died because Christ has died for us in our place. And so this death is to sin. And so now we live to God. As he says, he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now this is no longer about me. It's no longer about my ego. It's no longer about what's good for the individual. Uh, in Christ, uh, and it's a daily struggle, as you know, Brady, it's a daily struggle because we're always thinking about ourselves first. Mm-hmm. But it, it, the, the struggle main, it remains now in Christ. Where do I get to show this love that he has poured over me in his blood, where do I get to show this? I don't get to live for myself anymore, which ultimately is a good thing, because if I start living for myself, ultimately I realize I am my own God, and boy, if I'm my own God, I have no hope. My hope is in, the, is in Jesus. And so I look to help others for whom Christ died and was raised. And this is a good thing to remember, too, no matter where we are in the world, there is, uh, we live in a, in a very topsy-turvy time, and we look at other people, especially those whom we may not agree on everything, and uh, we, need, we, we, we need to look at those folks in the way that Paul looks at them. Hmm. He looks at them as people for whom Christ died, because he says Christ died for all, The matter is, there are many people in the world who don't know this yet, or even more so, don't believe it yet. Hmm. And so uh, it's incumbent upon us as fellow members of the body of Christ to look at everyone as someone for whom Christ died, and yes, rose. And that will begin to change the way that we talk to people, that we interact with people on social media. Uh, that we uh, that we deal with when we go shopping or when we're just out and about living our lives, when we get to look at people not as uh, fellow egotists, but as fellow people for whom Christ died. And who knows, they may discover that um, they too are those for whom Christ died. And Paul takes that, that that reality, right, conclusion, 
about that Christ has died for all, and therefore all have died, reminds us that we are dead in our sins, but also, you know, it goes to Romans 6, we die in our baptism and we rise with Christ. That I remember a theology professor in college just, just kind of walked in and said, you're all dead. And you're like, well, is that okay? Now what do we do? <laughs> and just a reminder <laughs> that we die, we're dead in sin, but we also die in Christ and are resurrected, and we are compelled from there to no longer live for ourselves, as you said, thanks be to God, but for Christ and for the sake he has died and was raised for us. This is a good reminder for us that we don't just live in this forgiveness, but we also continue to live it out. But right now we have to take a break. We are studying 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with Pastor David Jewell. We'll be right back. hardened ranch hand bears wounds from the past. As hard as I might try, there are people I cannot forgive. But can he overcome his bitterness? Your memory of your pain is greater than the memory of your deliverance. To protect the son of his best friend. I will give my life to save yours. When Quicksand threatens to kill him. Don't do this. Quicksand, the exciting new audio drama on the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Life might be compared to a call and response song. We hear, we respond. The music of the church wants to encourage and inspire both our hearing and our response, and you'll hear such music on the next Sing for Joy. Join us. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination, equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio, or anytime on KFUO.org, or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. And welcome back. We are continuing to study 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with Pastor David Jewell. And as we look at that, we realize that we have a clear conscience, a clean conscience with our Lord. And Paul unpacks that even more beautifully in these next few verses. Pastor Jewell, any last reflections on our first, um, well, our first, what, five, six verses? Now, this is getting ready to switch in here in another verse or so, beginning with verse 17 and 18, where Paul ends his um, defensive apostolicity and then goes into what he is sent to do as an apostle, especially as we get into verse 18. That's where everything kind of just switches as we move forward. Well, let's get into it. How about we look at verse 16, and we'll go almost verse by verse through the rest, because there's so many, as you said, jewels and gems throughout this time. So let's go verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. 
even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So he speaks about regard no one according to the flesh. What, what is he meaning there? We do not look at the person uh, as they are as a person. I, I, I hinted at that as we, uh, before we went into the break there. We look now at everyone as someone for whom Christ died, even if they do not believe that Christ died for them. So we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard them, as we'll see in just a couple of verses, as someone who belongs to the new creation, even if they are not in the new creation, hoping that um, that through hearing the word and also seeing how we uh, are living in that word, that they too will believe with us and become part of that new creation. And boy, the second half of that verse is a lot of fun to consider. Uh, yeah. Once regarded Christ according to the flesh, but we regard him thus no longer. Um, as we know, Christ is two natures. He has a divine nature and a human nature. And uh, we regard Christ, yes, as God who became man for us, as we heard during the Christmas season. But now, especially in Epiphany Tide, we're regarding Jesus as, uh, as Christ, as one who gives us little glimpses of his divine nature in the miracles that he performs so that we can see that um, he is more than just a man who has flesh and blood. Uh, for those of us who preach uh, the one-year cycle of readings, of which I do, uh, this past Sunday we got to hear uh, the boy Jesus sitting in the temple uh, speaking to the doctors of the law, and his parents uh, go looking for him for three days, and then they happen into the temple and they see their son sitting there conversing with uh, those who know many things about the scriptures, and Jesus is hanging hanging with them as a 12-year-old boy, and they're, they're a little frustrated as, you know, why did you do this to us? And Jesus reminds them, do you not know that I must be in my father's house? To show them that, you know, I, I may be your son, yes, but uh, I have a calling that is higher than just being your son and beginning to help dad in the carpenter shop. Um, and this coming Sunday, Jesus changes water into wine at the wedding at Cana for, mm -hmm. uh, for those of us in the mm -hmm. one-year cycle. And it, this shows us that Jesus is still creating things. He creates wine out of water at a wedding, and it's not just wine. It's the best wine anybody has ever had, and they save it until later. But here's the thing about our Lord. He is surprising us with the way that he shows that he is God's only begotten son. We would think that Jesus would pick other ways to want to show how he wishes to bless his people. We would think that he would want to bless us in ways that we could imagine. And Jesus is always surprising us by saying, no, I'm going to bless you in a way that you've never even thought of. And when you look back on it, you're going to, be, you're going to say to yourself, wow, he has really blessed me in such a way that I, I, I would never imagine. In fact, the way that he blessed me is not the way I would want to bless myself if I were in control of the situation. So when, when we regard Christ 
more as someone who is more than just according to the flesh, that he is truly God's only begotten son. And when we regard him as one who comes, and again, I guess this is where his, his sacrificial death for our sin, where he takes on our sin and gives us his righteousness, just blows me away every time at how he surprises us as being as being our savior it's it's um and when you look at it that way you'll want to look at other people in a completely different way you'll want to bless them in ways that they're not expecting because you've been blessed in that way too i realize i went a little far afield from that but that's what just that's just what comes up with this you know we yeah we regarded christ according to the flesh at one time but when you realize what he's done for you, it, it goes beyond flesh, but yet this flat it's wrapped up in flesh. What a mm. what a joyful mm. mystery we have. I know my dad has told me before, he said the, the, the more I age, the more I realize the depth of God's grace for me, and then I realize even more um how little I deserve it. And I yes. think that really fits in there because that makes you realize one, the need that we have for grace, and then also therefore um, we regard no one according to the flesh either, because when you see Jesus, you see Jesus not as just a person, but as God, whose depth of grace for us goes beyond everything. So let's get to that depth of grace in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The heart of everything, I think, is right here. He's, he's unpacking for us what happens to you in Christ? So what happens to you in Christ here, Pastor? You are a new creature. Um, I tell people, I preach and I teach. Uh, in, our, in my church building, the baptismal font is in the narthex because mm-hmm. it's the first thing that you see when you enter into the church, and it's the last thing you see before you go out of the church. And many of the people who sit in the pews in this sacred house each week we're baptized at that font. And even if they weren't at that actual physical font, it puts them in mind of where they became a new creation, where water is joined with the Word and the promise of God and makes people a new creation. And I say it this way. When people come to that font, God is in the business of killing them and bringing them back to life. It is a miracle that happens before your eyes, and it happens with splashing of water from either a shell or from my hand, and someone holds that infant there or someone who doesn't need to be held bends their head over that font, and the Lord uses me to pour water over that person's head. You are witnessing a death, someone dying to sin, the sinful nature being killed. Now, yeah, it struggles for the rest of your life uh, because you don't leave there pristinely perfect. But yet in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a new creature. So when he returns to judge the living and the dead and raises your body, if you have died before his return, you are changed. You become a new creature, and that new creature is already in you 
right now. It's there, living alongside your sinful nature. But one day, you will be changed. And that fullness of that new creation will be. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Now, when you witness a baptism, the next time you see it, let that just sort of simmer inside your noggin for a little while. And think about that. You are seeing someone die. But yet in that death, Jesus brings them back to life and gives them life eternal. That's what we live in. And every time people pass that font, it reminds them of the death because they've died to sin once for all. And now they live in Christ Jesus and even forevermore. Isn't that good news, Brady? I think it is. I think it is. It, it's something that it brings to mind another question of, okay, Paul says this, and he's concluded this. Um, and the question then is, but what if there's times I don't feel like a new creation? What would you say to them, Pastor? I would, again, um, first of all, remind them, yeah, touch your, touch your breast. Um, take a look around you. First of all, you uh, are in the flesh. Therefore, yeah, you're going to have the sinful nature still clinging to you. You're going to be in the world. And, yeah, the devil is certainly prowling around like a roaring lion. So you may not feel it, but you have the surety of God's holy word that tells you, you are a new creation. Whether or not you feel it is of no circumstance to our Heavenly Father. What our Heavenly Father looks at is, oh, my son has died for you. You have been grafted into the vine of righteousness. I nourish you, and I take care of you. I gave you your body. And when you die, I will raise your body from the dead and make it perfect and holy and new, just as I promised you when you lived in this veil of tears. So that's where I would take somebody, is take them mm -hmm. to the Word and show them, irregardless of what you feel today, look at what God has promised for you. And he knew this before you were even born. And he applies it to you. And he points you to where that certainty is in his holy word, remembering your baptism, remembering that God has made you his beloved child. It transcends feelings. And again, it gives you that good, clean conscience. I'm reminded of this because my, my godmother, when I was ordained, gave me a little a little, um, I don't know how to say it, a little trinket, I suppose you would say, to put on my desk. And it literally says baptism. And just over it, it has Second Corinthians 5.17 on it. And it's a, a good reminder for me of my identity, that when you do this work, or when you do your daily vocations, wherever you are, this is who you are, a new creation. The, the past is the past because it's been buried with Christ and your current is new because of the resurrection of Jesus. And when did that come? In holy baptism for you. Let's continue on what this means for us today. Let's do, let's do 18, and I think we'll do verse 19 as well. Okay. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Let's continue on. What, what do you think on this, Pastor? I don't know about you, but as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I deal with the flock that has been entrusted to me, and some of the flock are very timid to tell the good news about Jesus, to uh, speak the ministry of reconciliation to their neighbor who knows not the Lord, or maybe their neighbor who does know the Lord but is is struggling. As you, as you said rightly so a moment ago, they're not feeling it, or mm. they, they're, they're, they, they have a misunderstanding. And they come to me and they say, Pastor, uh, how do I say this? Because they're afraid to say it because they're afraid that they're going to get the words wrong, and they're going to point them to a false hope, or they're just not going to get it right, and they're going to confuse the other person. And this is the place that I would take a person who's struggling with how do I speak the ministry of reconciliation to my neighbor? Um, First of all, this is a gift from God to be able to speak this ministry of reconciliation. The ministry itself, uh, the the Greek word is diakonia, the service, the ministry of reconciliation, first of all, is a gift. And it's, and it's given to you, and when God gives gifts, he gives it, in, first of all, it's a good gift. And secondly, he always gives in the way of more. Um, he never gives enough, he gives more than enough. Um, we don't trust ourselves sometimes to realize that the gift we've been given is sufficient. So what is that ministry that we speak? First of all, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And it happens in the person of his only begotten son. He does not count your trespasses against you, because all of them were thrown upon his only begotten son as he lay there on the cross and bleeds and dies for you. And in sending his son to us, and then having his son ascend into heaven to fulfill all things, he then sends the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit never goes without something. He ties that Holy Spirit to his word, and he entrusts to us this message of reconciliation, which is, this is a work of God in his son. It is for the entire world not just for Minnesota, not just for Illinois, not just for Jamaica or Sri Lanka. It is for the whole world. What is that? He doesn't count your sins against you. And he also gives you the confidence to speak the message of reconciliation to somebody else. That is about as simple as you can get it. And it is very encouraging that it is a simple thing that we say. And we here today make it sound so complicated because we're two theologians who have been trained at two of the best seminaries, if not the best seminaries, in the world. And yet Paul breaks it down and makes it so simple. Dr. Sinkbile in his book, The Care of Souls, says it this way. 
Though the Bible originated in mul multiple ancient cultures spread over thousands of years in a widely diverse language, one central thus thrust is woven together through all its genres and literary forms. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. Showing us the simplicity of this and how how many, I mean, let's be honest, we need simplicity because things are, we make things so complex in our world. You know, how do you live stream? How do you, how do you communicate? How do you connect to this? How to keep up with things, everything else. And Dr. Singpao says it so well that the whole Bible is, is put together this way of all, all tribes, all nations, all races, all places that God was in Christ, and you said this so well, reconciling the world to himself. And if he reconciles the world, guess what? He's reconciling you. You're and in the that, world, so this you're is in the world. Yeah, That's right. That's right. So he talks about the ministry of reconciliation. We'll be talking a little more of that other verses, but do you want to touch on that a little bit? What What is this ministry of reconciliation he speaks of? Uh well, and, and it, it cuts both ways here. The, the, the way that perhaps we're most familiar with is the ministry of reconciliation that occurs uh, in, uh, as God's people gather together around that font, that pulpit, and that altar every week to receive the good gifts of God in, in preaching and in the sacraments. That's, that's where it's at. That's, and we don't forsake this gathering together because it's our lifeline where God wants to uh, where God wants to feed us and forgive us and love us and nurture us to leave the church doors and to go into the world to our various callings in life and then to speak this ministry of reconciliation and it can happen simply in a conversation over a beverage where a friend or a family member is hurting I, I can't tell you how many times uh, in, in the parsonage here that I've had a bad day and my wife has been a minister of reconciliation to me. Even my children have been a minister of reconciliation to their father. Uh, sometimes this ministry of reconciliation can also look like something, for example, that my congregation does every August we encourage not just people in our congregation, but people in our community. It's a community of 3,400 people here in Moments. We gather children's clothes from newborn all the way up to young adult. And we lay them out on tables in the church basement, and we let it be known to our community that you can come, as school gets started here, and gather as many clothes as you wish. Bring, take a garbage bag, two garbage bags. We don't care. And it's free. So many mm -hmm. people in our community are hurting because they can't buy clothes for their kids. And they want their children, you know, to look decent when they go to school. So we've done this now for two years, and people literally have stood there as they leave wanting to hand us money <laughs> and say, mm -hmm. no, 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 I insist. I, and we're like, no, 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 this is not to be bought or sold. This is for you. Now, what does this have to do with the ministry of reconciliation? You may think, oh, it's just a church and they're giving away clothes. It has everything to do with the ministry of reconciliation because what we are doing is showing the love of God in Christ Jesus. He has died for us and set us free to be his people. 
And what we have, Brady, is not a gift. It's not a gift unless you can give it away. Now think about that. It's not a gift unless you can give it away. So we want to bless other people in the way we have been blessed ourselves. And the response to this has been outstanding. That's another way, of, and I'm sure we could sit here all day and think of other ways that the ministry of reconciliation shows forth itself. Now, will we ever see a new family join our congregation because of this? Only God knows. But what people know is the people at that church love me, and they love my family, and that's not just their love. It's the love of Christ. Well, as the Bible tells us, we love because he first loved us. And that goes into that. I like that language that you use, that a gift is something we give away because that's very biblical. He gives us forgiveness. What do we do? We therefore forgive others. You know, he gives gifts of grace. Therefore, we are gracious towards others. And we see that a lot throughout 2 Corinthians. But right now we are five minutes away from our end of this, and I want to get to these last two verses because he keeps going, therefore, you know, he builds a foundation that says, therefore, and he gets to the heart of it, these last two verses. So let's dig into it and let's get this done. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So first, I want to stick with verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What is he telling us? Making an appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. What is he talking about, ambassadors and reconciliation? An ambassador is somebody who represents someone else, and they represent the interests of that particular person. The first thing we think of is the United Nations, ambassador to the United Nations or ambassador to a particular foreign country. So we are ambassadors of Christ. Wherever we go, we represent him because we belong to him. God makes his appeal through us, and our appeal is an appeal of reconciliation. Notice here it is... um, it is passive language. Be reconciled to God. I cannot reconcile you to God. However, I can speak the reconciliation, and that, recon- that speaking can reconcile you to God. It is not something that I actively do. It is something that God does, and he uses instruments to do it, chiefly the speaking of his word. And that's where you know we are as pastors, obviously ambassadors, People are, like you said, sharing that gospel in their everyday life, and it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be um, real eloquent. It is as simple as we've been talking here today, but that is who you are called to be as a baptized child of God, to be an ambassador for Christ. And yes, that can be quite terrifying. And he tells us, I, we implore you to Christ, be reconciled to God. He's calling them, and this is like John the Baptist moment, be reconciled to God. Repentance. Repent for your sins and move forward by the grace of God as one fully clothed in his righteousness. But he doesn't stop there. That's what I love about this. He does not stop by saying, be reconciled to God. Amen. Go home. What does he <laughs> right. say in this last verse? I'll say it again because it is absolutely beautiful and powerful and for you. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Unpack that for us. We have about two, two and a half minutes here. Let's go for it. This is what has been called by one theologian of days past the sweet swap. Um, uh, <laughs> Luther calls it the blessed exchange. I prefer the sweet swap because it sounds so sweet. Uh, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus, upon the cross, becomes our sin, takes it on for us, and gives us in return for the filthy, nasty, dirty sin. Yes, even the sin right now that you're thinking about, that you're thinking, there's no way God can forgive me for that. Yes, covered in Christ's blood, and then gives you his righteousness. You become, then, the righteousness of God. I think of Luther's prayer um, that says, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness, I am your sin. You became what you were not, so that I may become what I am not. Marinate on that prayer for a little while, and especially in those times when you're just, oh, how can God forgive someone like me? He does, in Christ, for you. That is the ministry of reconciliation at work. And here's a God who doesn't even know the con- doesn't know sin at all, but yet took it upon Himself. And when it says the righteousness of God is yours, that is incredibly profound, incredibly loving. And as I said, the older you get, the more you realize how um, how, how deep the depth of God's grace is, and how little we deserve it. Well, today we have Pastor David Jewell of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Moments, Illinois. Is that right? You got it. Yeah, you got, got it. it. Helping us today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Pastor Jewell, thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Brady, and every blessing in Christ to you and to you at home as well. Thank you. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. In Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. Live in that as ambassadors, but also in that grace. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.